0: This is Classic Business. Breakfast with Moneyweb. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027.
1: It's just gone three minutes after seven. I love this on air thing that we do where who starts the show first? And it turns out it's me, even though I. Don't believe it, but nonetheless. You uh, never believe it.
2: You (laughs) never believe it, but it's yours.
1: Good to be with you. Welcome to it. Uh, Arabile, you're with us again.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, as you can tell, my voice.
1: uh, It could be someone else.
2: It could be. This is true. Also true. But uh, yeah, let's get into it. Of course, Thursday now. We're finally getting to that latter part of the week. But it is the 7th of February. We'll be unpacking quite a bit. Of course, uh, yesterday seeing quite a bit of news also. Updates coming through as well. But Kosatu says they're readying themselves for a national strike against job losses. And that is going to get them uh, ready for, for that strike across all nine provinces. We'll chat to uh, Kosatu's first deputy president at quarter past seven.
1: And then we focus on uh, some pre sona analysis. We are expecting President Cyril Ramaphosa to deliver his State of the Nation address this evening. What to expect this year? We'll speak to Tandi Sizwe Matlujana, who is from PPS Investments.
2: And it's nothing new, but the sentiment around the mining in Daba continues to filter through on different topics. And... It seems that, uh, you know, residents continue to say that mines do not benefit communities. How do we fix that? How do we make that a significant element of the mining endowment? And not just the investment element, but knowing that as a part of that investment comes the uh, ability to benefit communities as well. We'll chat about that around half past seven.
1: And in our cappuccino with the CEO, we uh, have a conversation with uh, Fly Sefer CEO, Elmar Conradi. He's been with the company since 2005, used to be a chartered accountant uh, by training. So we'll find out how he got into the airline industry and also get to know him a little bit better. That interview is happening later on.
2: Yep, all that and a whole lot more coming up between now and 8 o'clock. It's your Thursday edition of Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb.
0: This is classic business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb, Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Arentser on Classic 1027. The
2: market indicators are brought to you by the FNB Business 48 Hour Cash Accelerator. Get great rates and fast access. Well, taking a look at how the markets performed yesterday, there were broad-based gains which lifted the JSE. It pushed higher as well uh yesterday while global markets paused just a little bit as investors waited for new catalysts or new information and new data to move the market now with a number of asian markets closed as well for that lunar new year activity has been subdued while in the united states corporate earnings season does continue as well, the Aussie gained two thirds of a percent to 54,574 points. Uh, the top 40 also a similar mark higher. Platinum added two and a third of a percent, while industrials were uh, nearly one percent to the good. Focus today, of course, will be on that speech by uh, the president, President Cyril Ramaphosa, the State of the Nation address this evening. It may indeed provide further details on how the government plans to rein in expenditure. While also stimulating economic growth, Ramaphosa's speech comes ahead of the budget statement, which is expected as well on February the 20th. 1355, a weakening in South Africa's currency against the US dollar. It's 1539 for a euro, 1752 for a single British pound. The United States was all in red last night. The Dow Jones Industrial just around a tenth of a percent weaker. S&P 500 two tenths of a percent down with the Nasdaq as well around a third of a percent lower. It was all red as well yesterday out in Europe while the Shanghai composite, while the Nikkei rather is also down this morning. That's two thirds of a percent. The Shanghai composite and Hang Seng both closed as I said earlier. To, for that Lunar New Year celebration. $1,303 a fine ounce, that's the price for gold, while the white metal, platinum, is at $804.78 a fine ounce, $62.55 a barrel for Brent Crude.
0: This is Classic Business, Breakfast with Moneyweb. Web. Arabile Goumede and Nastasia Aransa on Classic 1027.
1: Eight minutes after seven, joining us in studio to talk a little bit uh, more in depthly about the markets is Chris Gilmore, who is an independent analyst. Chris, thank you so much for your time this morning. What did you make of yesterday's markets activity?
3: Yeah, well, it's, it's a continuation of the same old theme. We're going nowhere slowly. Um, as Arabile said, you know, we got uh, the SP 500 last night, uh, uh, breaking a five day uh, winning streak. If you look at the market since uh, late December, since the beginning, maybe the beginning of the year, we're we're up actually quite nicely. And in fact, South Africa, if you look at the South Africa MSCI, it's one of the leading um, uh, markets around the world. So I think you know it. it actually, it, although it doesn't seem like it, um, and as I say, we're kind of going nowhere slowly as measured by the the the, uh, the GAC All Share Index. Other indexes are perhaps going a little bit better. Um, you know, we're, we're getting some reasonably good figures coming out of some of the mining companies. Um, Sasol is starting to look a, a little bit better. So in other words, we're getting some of those commodity stocks uh, starting to look a little bit better. Uh, nothing to get awfully excited mm-hmm. about, mind you. But um, relative to what's happening in the South Africa ink stocks, uh, it's an awful lot better than those are, generally speaking.
1: On the company side, news that caught your attention or perhaps even results?
3: Um, well, we got sappy yesterday and that was a, a pretty lacklustre set of results. Um, I've never been a great fan of this one. Um, you know, it really is very much a sunset type of industry and I think these results kind of just highlight that. Um, it was a, a relatively quiet day uh, yesterday. Um, I see that... Um, Sun International have, um, you know, uh, Mohamed Vali Musa stepping down as chairman. And Jabba Mabuza is taking over as chairman. Now, that's fascinating because, you know, he used to be the chairman of um, Tsogo Sun. Mm. And he was currently the chairman of Telcom and uh, he's the chairman of, of uh, Eskom, obviously. Yeah. That's, that's the big one. But, um, you know, and, and let's not forget, he's also the chairman of Anheuser-Busch InBev in, in South Africa. So he's got a tremendous background, both in the brewing industry and in the hotel industry. And I think he's going to bring a wealth of experience to um, to Sun International.
1: Right. Everybody was watching uh, President Donald Trump's State of the Union address, all 82 minutes of it, if you were really glued to his every word. But then, you know, you got various uh, news, I suppose, news sites that were saying either it was lackluster, it didn't have details as to what's going on with uh, China trade relations, it didn't um, expand on... Uh, after the pause we've had with the shutdown, will we have another one if he doesn't get his way, etc.? Tonight, we have President Sir Ramaphosa's State of the Nation address. What are you expecting out of that?
3: Okay, let's let's deal with Trump, first of mm-hmm. all. Um, I, I kind of tend to disagree a bit on that. Um, I think uh, Trump now realizes he's locked in, 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 a, in a duel to the death almost with Nancy Pelosi. And Pelosi really is a fearsome competitor. And I think he actually put on a reasonable display. Uh, not great. Um, this is not his forte. But, um, you know, he was uh, magn- magnanimous, I think, uh, to, to that uh, that crowd of women who were all wearing white up in the gallery when they all stood up and, and shouted. And uh, unfortunately, he keeps keeps on plugging away about this wretched wall on the southern border. I, I, I don't think this is ever ever going to see the light of day. But never mind. You know, um are we going to see this uh, the, the lockdown coming back again? Yes, we probably are, and that's been a feature of many many presidents over the past few decades. Coming to the sonnet this evening, um, look, it's only in very recent years that this has been given a, a moniker, the State of the Nation Address. It really is the opening of Parliament, and it's 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 a bit of a, a fancy affair. Everyone gets the best kit on, and um, uh, they try and outdo each other uh, in, in in Parliament. Um, are we going to hear anything of any, any real importance? Well, last year, I think at this point in time, we were all absolutely wowed by Cyril. You know, here was a, an eloquent, mm. highly educated, intelligent leader for the first time in, 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 in a decade. And, um, you know, but now we're, we actually want to hear something uh, of real meaning. There, well, there's got to be some real substance here. And, you know, Arabila and I were talking the other day about um, maybe he's going to, to mention something of real substance when it comes to Eskom, mm. and and perhaps we are. Um, goodness knows we need it. We need to hear something um, tangible about how they're going to fix the, <laughs> the electricity utility. They can't just keep on going to NERSA and asking for 15% and and going away and getting three or four because that that's really roughly uh, that's that's what they're worth. Uh, they're not even worth that. Um, they can't just keep on going and milking the consumer. A, a new way ahead has to be forged and. Are we going to see that? Are we going to see the kind of um, radical uh, steps that are required for ESCO? Are we going to see um, talk of a uh, splitting into two or three? Are we going to see a partial privatization? If we see that, I think that would be taken incredibly positively.
1: All right. Um, Before I let you go, just quickly, Theresa May is going to the European Union to go and sort out her Brexit uh, nightmare or however she views it. I'm sure you were tired of talking about Brexit and Theresa May and everything you know, else. Uh,
3: yeah, I watched Donald Tusk uh, from the European Union yesterday talking about there's a special place in hell for the people who have um, uh, o- organized this. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, re- he really didn't care. And Leo Varadkar, the uh, Irish uh, Taoiseach, he um, he kind of said to him <laughs> under his breath, you're going to take a, a lot of uh, stick in the, in the British press from that. He said, yes, I know. But... Um, I think he's sick and tired of, I mean, May is nothing but really a petty bureaucrat, and she's handled this exceptionally badly. Um, I, I think I've been fairly consistent in my criticism of, of, of Prime Minister May over the over the last few months. And, you know, I don't think she's going to extract anything uh, more out of the, the, the Europeans. And she's going to go pro- probably uh, for another vote next week. And although she's not going to uh, get the, the defeat that she had a couple of weeks ago, the 230 vote, vote defeat, I think it's still going to be a fairly heavy defeat because she's got nothing really to bring to the party. And all she's really doing is letting the clock count down to the 29th of March, hoping against hope that uh, Parliament is going to accept her, her wretched deal and not go for a, a crashing out uh, with no deal at all.
1: All right, Chris, let's leave it there. We still have him in studio with us and we'll catch up with uh, some more news on that front. That's Chris Gilmore.
0: This is Classic Business. Breakfast with Moneyweb. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027.
2: so South Africa's largest trade union federation, COSATU, is gearing up for a national strike with protests planned in all nine provinces over the coming week. They will be striking against job losses and unemployment. And this will include uh, protests uh, even in the Western Cape, which is expected on February the 13th. That's next week, Wednesday. Um, And also then uh, some, uh, some other strikes as well will happen on February the 19th, which is the day before Finance Minister Tito Mboweni is expected to deliver his maiden budget speech so let's chat to Kosato now mike uh, shingange who is the first deputy president of kusato joins us on the line Uh, mike thank you so much for your time um let's chat about just exactly the sentiment you are trying to share by bringing out uh this protest and what is it what is the message that you're trying to tell whether it be government whether it be uh, uh you know other lawmakers what is it exactly that you're trying to share here
4: Thank you very much, and good morning, Arab listeners. Thanks for having us. Look, we, towards the end of uh, 2018, yeah, the country was experiencing a whole lot of uh, attempts to retrench workers. In fact, in the mining sector, in the retail sector, in the manufacturing sector, the economy was shedding jobs. Despite the commitment in the job summit and in the investment summit that the president convened, uh, employers continued to threaten uh, retrenchments mm-hmm. in state owned companies like SOE, I mean, mm-hmm. SOBC, mm-hmm. SA Express, uh, Dinelle, and so on. It came to the fore that the workers could no longer sit back and watch where they're being butchered uh, with a job platform. So we decided to rise like any other working class in the, in the world to defend our jobs. So what we're trying to communicate is that it's never we shall. Uh, stand by and watch the employers uh, continue to harborage the economy by retrenching workers, while our in, uh, unemployment stands at eight percent, and over ten million people do not have jobs, and seventeen million depend on welfare states. That's what we are trying to communicate now, even to the to the to the, to the Minister of uh, Finance and to the President. Yeah.
2: Today. So Mike, according to you, then at, who is to at, who is at blame here? Is it indeed the government?
4: not only the government. You remember that the private sector in this country has been on investment strike for quite some time. Mm. They've been sitting on trillions of rents without investing in the local economy. For so the president, Ramaphosa, tried to get investment in this country, he had to go on an international tour to try and owe investors in what we call foreign direct investment, while we've got the local business people whose corporate tax have been reduced from 34% in 2012 to 28%. But those uh, tax reductions have not resulted in them uh, defending or protecting the jobs that are there. They have not resulted in them creating new jobs, but instead has resulted in them maximizing profits, And still making sure that workers get lower, lower, lower uh, salaries. Do you understand why that
2: happened though, Mike? Sorry to, sorry to interrupt, but do you know why that, that was the case where they sat on that money for so long? Do you believe that they at least were justified because policy uncertainty was rife, corruption was rife, they felt that things needed to be sorted out first in order they, before they committed long term?
4: Look, it cannot only be the government' uh, problems. All well, we agree. In fact, the government itself involved on a uh, wrong policy choices. I yeah. mean, uh, uh, you, you know, the SOEs have been hemorrhaging uh, badly because of the appointment of uh, uh, some executive board members, the, the CEOs, and the looting that has been taking place. And the fact that the, no one has been held accountable—that mm-hmm. is one part. But our view is that when you uh, incorporate, uh, and then you, you get from government a tax relief. It is that tax relief is given in order for you to play your part in growing the economy Mm. in making sure that you create jobs it's not given to you so that you can maximize and accumulate privately the the, the profit only yourself and then therefore the economy doesn't grow the the business in this country has no future if the poor does not have future the corporate business has no future if the workers don't have future because you only you only succeed when there's money circulating when you produce products you must have people who work so that they can have money
2: to buy your product mike let's talk solutions then let's talk solutions what do you want business or government right now to do in order to help the process and start creating jobs what is your solution to this
4: look today we are the president who's going to present a state of the nation address we want to hear plans of government how is it that they are going to move the economic growth from the one projected one percent to three percent how is it that uh, the, the, the Job Summit and the Investment Summit commitments are defended and implemented? Uh, so the first and foremost, we're looking for a president that is going to be consistent with what they, uh, they presented in the manifesto because currently we do think that the manifesto of the ruling party uh, as has been presented last month <clears> has to provide a, a hope for the future. But we want to hear whether the president is going to be consistent. The reason why we are having a strike not only on the 13 but also on the 19 in captain to coincide with the budget piece by the minister of, of finance is to ensure that the budget of the minister must be the people's driven budget it must the budget that responds to the current economic situation that we are in so that we think uh, uh for a start, is the solution that we are looking for
2: mm. all right mike appreciate your time this morning i certainly hope that the call is heeded uh, and that uh, your solutions are then put forward uh, and uh are heard indeed. Mike Shingange, who is first deputy president of COSATU. Your traffic.
0: Every morning, Arabile Goumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb.
1: It's uh, 23 minutes after 7. Before we talk to Tandi Suze, uh Maslujana, who is from PPS Investments, just news out of Woolworths. Uh, David Thomas, who's the Chief Executive Officer of David Jones, which is the Woolworths' Australian subsidiary, has resigned for personal uh, reasons and news out of there saying that uh, they will be looking for a replacement as soon as possible. But nonetheless, we are expecting the State of the Nation address tonight. And to talk was about his expectations. Is uh, Tandi Caesar? Thank you so much for your time. So let's look at what are you looking for when you uh, President Sir Ramaphosa takes to the podium.
5: Um. Thanks, Natasha. It's uh, nice to speak. <coughs> my apologies. It's nice to speak to you again. Um. I think that Natasha, our problems as South Africa well documented, but I'm mostly looking forward to him actually trying to address. Issues that are being experienced by people on the ground. South Africans this past year have had a torrid year, um, as you would very well know. We've had fuel prices that skyrocketed. We've had um, job losses. We've had families going from knowing where the next meal will come from to not knowing if there will be a meal at all or when that meal might come. We've had issues where in Cape Town alone, nearly six Thousand learners have not been placed in schools. Um, those, those for me, are real bread and butter issues that Cyril Ramaphosa needs to address as a matter of urgency. I don't think we need to get into the importance of education and why we need to get um, those kids placed. And like I said, that number is only for Cape Town. There might be other numbers in other areas. Um, he has been able, Nastasia, to get at least 20% of the investment target that he set for himself. One thing about I like about that number is the word target or putting a target to it. And I think Cyril, being a businessman or having been a businessman before, he understands that, you know, businesses succeed because they set targets. And I'd like him to set targets for South Africa's issues. For example, if you look at the school issue, which is a, a big issue for me at least, uh, and I'm sure for many other South Africans, I would want him to actually say to us, of the uh, $20 billion that he's been able to get in either pledges or actual investments in FDI form, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, out of that amount of money, we're going to take a certain portion and dedicate it towards uh, building the schools and give himself a target that says, over the next 12 months, we're going to build five schools in Cape Town, five schools in Gauteng, five schools in Guazul Natal, blah, blah. I think that's how South Africans can actually hold him to account. Mm. Um, last year, he, he obviously, you know, he did his whole song and dance around Tumamina, uh Posa's song. I kind of feel like, and it's it's, it's a little bit um, of a poignant issue, I kind of feel like this year South Africans are singing Oliver Mdukutu's song, which is Tori. And it says, what shall we do? What shall we do for South Africa? To get its growth going what shall we do for women and children to feel safe on the road what shall we do for the many many young people in this country and many of them who are graduates what shall we do for them to get the jobs that they need to, 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 to you know to live a prosperous life right. the life promised to us over the years
1: um just quickly before i let you go i mean so far has he lived up to the promises he made at last year's state of the nation
5: um that's an interesting question, I think we are a few days away, if not there, uh, to his um, anniversary of having been the president of the country. I think on the whole, he has managed to live up to the expectations. It may not be a 100% record, but I think it's a keen, nice record with good achievements. I do, however, want to say that there are two lanes that he has to tow. There's a state lane that he has to tow. And for him to succeed in towing that lane, there's a political lane that he has to tow, And often, that political lane has an impact on whether or how quickly he achieves the state objectives that he has set for himself. And I think the political lane is where he has had troubles.
0: Um,
5: and we can understand why, because politics are not like, well, there are some sort of science, but there's no one plus one in, in politics. You could get five out of one plus one. So I think that's where his troubles have mostly come from, which may have impacted um, him not being able to achieve 100% of the things that he has set out to achieve. And I think that might continue to be um, a huge weight on his shoulders, because this year is a political uh, election, obviously. But elections won't stop this year. All the political parties will be on a campaign trail until next year, because next year, I think we're going to have municipal elections. Mm. Over the next years, it's election year.
1: Tandi thank you so much for your time. That's Tandy Cesar who is from PPS Investments. You can have a look at an article on the Money website that's titled, South Africa's Top Priority Ethical Leadership. Uh, also, expanding on the fact that without it, investor confidence will not recover. That one written by Patrick Kanz. You can... Um, Read up a little bit more on some of the promises uh, that President Cyril Ramaphosa has made at the uh, Investing in Africa Mining in Daba that wraps up today in Cape Town and uh, his encouragement about how South Africa is open for business. But of course, everybody is looking to see as to whether he can continue to stimulate the economy by dealing with the leadership issues and making sure that South Africa is secure and ready to attract uh, investment. But let's have a look at news headlines.
0: Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Nastasia Aransa on Classic Business, Breakfast with MoneyWeb.
2: 79% of those that were interviewed by ActionAid say that there was no benefit from the mines at all, while 8% felt that the mine only brought negative benefits such as sickness disposition and damages only 13% felt that there were positive benefits such as clinics roads and employment most residents of eight mining communities that were surveyed by uh, action aid said that they derived no benefit from having a mine in their area and that its proximity only brought health and environmental problems instead this is despite having now mining legislation and the mining charter for communities to benefit from social labor plans which are the major drivers of corporate social responsibility why is this not happening fatima valley mining and extractives project manager and action aid south africa joins us on the line fatima appreciate your time this morning the sentiment here is very clear that despite the legislation this is still not happening from those corporates is it a sense of not wanting to to help communities or is there something deeper at play here
6: I think that's a really important question and one that's really you know complex I and mean, yet very simple um i mean if we just look you know within the social audit baseline report we do document how government has you know reduced spending in terms of monitoring the implementations of the social and, and labor plans and yet it's increased spending on trying to attract foreign investment in the sector so that's a very clear cut message uh, around what government prioritizes and unfortunately um, community is not you know uh, a fundamental factor so even though you know on several occasions it goes um to Ramaphosa, and Gwenda Mantasha has indicated that, that you know communities are really important factors. How this translates on the ground is very, very different. Um, if you would just give me the opportunity to uh, explain some of the experiences of women in communities, in particular, sure. I think that it's you know quite damning. man. Um, so while we're doing the social uh, audit, we want to ascertain what the gendered impacts of mining are. And so within Palau, uh, which is a community um, very close to Oaxi, and who I, you know, surrounded by, you know, massive coal mining operations, uh, that particular survey only looked at women. Uh, only women conducted the survey, community activists, but when they went door to door, they only, you know, specifically spoke to women. And these are just some like, really key highlights of what was found, 40% of the women indicated that jobs at the mines are only accessible through sexual favors. 73% of women indicated that they received no benefits. or all of the women in the community experienced extensive forms of violence, such as rape, murder, and other forms of abuse. Now, of that, 85% of women linked the increase in violence to the development of mining in the area. That's, you know, in a country where you have such high levels of gender-based violence, um, you know, that's quite stark. And, you know, earlier you mentioned uh, the MPRDA, the Minerals and Petroleum Resources Development Act, and uh, the Mining Charter. But if you look at the NPRSDA, right, uh, it pays a lot of attention to a broad category of historically disadvantaged persons. Women are broadly omitted from special consideration. Now, if we look at, you know, the fact that there's general agreement within government and civil society that women are generally and specifically oppressed and discriminated against in this country, uh, and you take... You know, there's very serious omission within a, a legislation specifically dealing with a sector that is dominantly framed, um, you know, by patriarchy, exploitiveness, and um, has historically entrenched unequal social and economic relations. This is quite problematic. Yeah, I mean, Mining Chapter 3 doesn't even really make, re- you know, any reference to gender, and specifically with reference to women and
2: girls. Are we... At least getting to a point where we can have that conversation. I know, as you said, mining charter three doesn't necessarily even mention, for example, women and the effect thereof as well. Can we at least start having those sorts of conversations? Yes, they've got the 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 community back for with regards to that ten percent uh, as well with regards to the the charter. But is it something that we can now say to ourselves, "This is how it is," and this is how we need to move forward because? We've settled one element, which should bring some sense of stability. Now another element gets brought in. We need to make sure that that comes in uh, and, you know, very quickly and also with clarity. Um,
6: look, I don't think there's political war um, in order to do that. I think that uh, mining-affected communities have been deliberately excluded uh, from decision-making that directly impacts them. And whenever you have a system like that, uh, it's not going to yield any form of, inequality, uh, of equality. Mm. Often it just exacerbates as existing inequalities. And that's what this report shows, right? So unless there is political will to recognize communities as impacted and affected stakeholders who have the right uh, to, you know, in, in decisions that, impact them then no I don't think it's going to change um, communities in uh, mining affected communities have you know created their own charters the people's mining charters which is an alternative that is quite sustainable and yet government does not recognize it they know about it they know about mining affected communities united in action which is you know uh, a movement and yes uh, you know. It really doesn't fundamentally take their consideration seriously other than offering that service. So that's that's my fear.
2: Sure. All right. Well it it it's a difficult conversation, but one that certainly needs to be had. Why do you feel, you know, we're perhaps still sticking to the old God, the old ways of doing things? It's a it's an economy that continues to have to, you know, aid South Africa in any ways. Communities are perhaps extremely reliant on on this sort of thing and yet we you know as you said aren't benefiting them why do you think that
6: is (laughs) I mean I think that's the the crux of the question right Um, and it has to do with systems of power so there's a few people that benefit from this you know very biased system and that is often mining companies and corrupt governments right Mm. Um, so if you're yielding so much of benefit and so much of profit, you're very, you wouldn't very easily relinquish that. And that's what I think is happening in South Africa. I think that's what the research points to as well, um, that there's a very unequal power system, and those that are in power want to obviously maintain it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this gender bias and pro bias, which shows, you know, um, a flawed benefit cost Within the extractive project will never adequately be addressed if they, you know, um, and will continue to disproportionately oppress women and vulnerable communities unless this sector is fundamentally transformed. Um, and my reading of it goes within Mining Charter 3 and the current legislation. There is no substantive wanting or political will. To see
2: that being realised. Mm. Well, certainly hope that the conversation changes, that the mindset changes, that the political will, as you mentioned, Fatima, really, really does change. We need to get that sorted. We need to get that done in order to make it a more inclusive economy as well, and perhaps one more beneficial to not just the mining companies but those communities as well. Fatima Valley, appreciate your time. Mining and Extractives Project Manager at Action Aid South Africa. Seven forty, your traffic.
0: This is Classic Business. Breakfast with Moneyweb. Arabile Gumede and Anastasia Arensa on Classic 1027. Cappuccino with a CEO.
1: Well, there you have it. Uh, to, joining us on the line to have that conversation is the Fly Essay Fair, uh, Fly Safair CEO, uh, Alma Conradi, who's been with the company since 2005. And he was instrumental in getting, uh, the company's low cost carrier off the ground. He's also a qualified chartered accountant and, uh, certified information auditor. Uh, Alma, thank you so much for your time this morning. So let's talk about how you got into the airline industry. I mean, you're, an accountant by training.
7: Thanks, Natasha, and good, good morning to you and your listeners. Yeah, what happened to me was I actually worked at one of the big uh, five accounting firms and I did the audit um, on SAFE since 1998. Um, and then after I left uh, PWC where I worked, I actually went and worked for a bank. And then one day I got a call from SAFE and they well, asked, you want to come and work here? And I actually jumped at the opportunity because I really loved the people that I met here, and I thought it was a great trip.
1: Right. Though I must be honest, when it comes to Fly FlySafe, I mean, um, I didn't quite pick up on the airline. I mean, I saw it, but I didn't know the actual background that uh, the company's more than 50 years old. You guys have been leasing aircraft and maintaining aircraft. So you pretty much got your feet wet, tried everything out before entering into the arena. Tell me about that.
7: Yeah, that's right. I always say it sort of took us 53 years to, to be an overnight success. Um, we, we've we always been working in the in the background in South Africa in the aviation industry, from doing leases to the other airlines, doing their maintenance, operating on their behalf. Um, and we've also been operating up in Africa, sort of more the, the aid, and re, aid and relief type of work for the United Nations and World Food Programme, and also cargo work. So we've always been operating in the background, but never never did the commercial side of things where we sold tickets directly to the public until
5: 2014. Hmm.
1: You have to tell me how the airline industry works, particularly with you guys. I mean, I've noticed that the only time I'll ever interact with a flyer, safe, safe staff is probably either uh, if I purchase my ticket at the airport, at the, at the counters, or once I'm on the plane. But other than that, when it comes to getting the food uh, onto the plane and everything else, how does all of that come together?
7: You're absolutely right. I mean, it's actually a very complicated business and, if, if everything works according to plan, the first time you'll actually meet the safety employers on board the aeroplane when, when you get greeted by the cabin crew, um, because we rely on people from um, our ground handlers um, at the airport, the check-in desks, um, the ticket sales is our staff. But then once you go through security, the baggage handlers, all of those people are out, out of our hands. The catering company is another is a different company. The fueling trucks that need to fuel the airplane. So you're reliant on a lot of partners in this process to make sure that you get your airplanes out on time.
1: Is there a secret to the low-cost model? I mean, we've seen a lot of low-cost uh, airlines come into the industry and then fizzle away.
7: Look, I think one of the things that we recognized early on is that, uh, you know, we we can't do this on a small scale, but, but economies of scale is critical to, to make the business work. So we tried to grow, grow fairly quickly. So we grew from just two aeroplanes in 2014 to we've got 15. Um, and we've been growing, sort of doubling our numbers every year. And last year, had 40% growth. And this year, we're planning a further for 40% growth. Um, but... Tied with that is very important, the utilisation of the, the aeroplane, utilisation of the staff, efficiency, you know, making sure we keep the aeroplanes up on time and keep keep the aeroplane basically in the air so that we, we actually earn money.
1: Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about you. Tell us a little bit about your childhood.
7: Um, I actually grew up on a farm um, and then my parents uh, moved to a small mining town in the free state called Villanueva's where I grew up. Um, and then I just after my trick, I moved to to where I did my studies, and then straight after that, I came to Joburg.
1: Did you always know uh, what you were going to study, or were you one of those who figured it out uh, by the time you got to varsity that perhaps maybe being an accountant is what I want to do? What options did you have?
7: So, so it's it's a funny thing I think. Uh, um, like, like most matric boys, I was pretty clueless at the end of matric what I'm going to do. Um, the only thing I knew, I, I pretty much knew what I didn't want to be. I knew I didn't want to be a doctor. Um, and I, I knew I wanted to to be in business. So so basically, I looked at what was the, the best direction to study and to, to become uh, or to go into business one day. Um, and I actually, once I started studying accounting, I always said I never want to be a financial manager or financial director. And that's actually exactly where I ended up before I became CEO. And I actually enjoyed it a lot. Um, It was actually great being involved in the business, getting to know the business. Um, I really enjoyed it. Mm.
1: Let's talk about your career moves, because I know at some point you you were at Macquarie Bank and you worked in uh, project finance. When you make the next decision to go to the next company or the next avenue uh, career-wise, what factors do you take into consideration when you make that choice
7: so for me for me at that point the biggest thing was actually the the company itself in terms of the 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 people and the culture um you know i I think a lot of times you can you can build a career at many places and and you know if you've got the qualifications you can do the work at many companies but for me what was important is that i need to feel comfortable with the people that i work with and and the culture of the company where i work um, and that's why I've been so long with SAFE, is just because I, I really enjoy the people, the committed people, passionate about what they do. Um, yeah, and, and I love the culture.
1: In terms of Fly SAFE and the targets uh, you may have on, you know, in in mind for 2019, what's on the cards for you?
7: So, so yeah, it, it, it our business is sort of where we have to plan ahead. Um, so we've already actually. Um, into our schedule this year quite a lot of growth. Um, we're already growing our, our, our capacity this year by 40%. So um, this year it's for, for us sort of more of the same adding more flights and more capacity on the existing routes that we fly.
1: I'm going to bring Aravila into this conversation because we do this thing every week whenever we have a CEO uh, either in studio or on the line where we try to get to know a little bit about you when it comes to sports. So I'm going to let Aravila take over this one.
2: Good morning, Elma. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm great. Fantastic. So this is... the most critical part, I know you've answered quite a few questions now. I've been listening quite intently, but none of those answers matter except for these next questions. All right. Just, just to add, (laughs) all right. And these ones will determine whether, you know, we'll call you up for a favor. One day we'll call you up to have just a a simple chat, you know, have coffee one day or, or who knows what else. The question is, if you support any sports teams in particular, Primarily in football, soccer, of uh, football, cricket or rugby do you Alma No.
1: Alma, are you there?
2: I think Alma's still thinking about the right team to choose <laughs> okay. so that he makes sure that he, you know, he doesn't disappoint with regards to this one. It does seem, however, that we, we have lost him off the line there. Unfortunately, we'll get him to, to answer those ones and we'll yeah. get a, a real response for you.
0: This is Classic Business. Breakfast with okay. MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Arunsa on Classic 1027.
2: Well, it seems we do have Alma Conradi back on the line, the CEO of FlySafe. Alma, I... I'm assuming that you were still taking some time out to perhaps think of the right answer there. That's why we had a, a lack of connection on that one.
7: Yeah, I knew this was going to be a sensitive question, so I, I had to take my time on that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now, so, listen, I, I mean, obviously, as the sponsors of the Springboks, the, the first answer is, uh, I mean, yes, I definitely support the Box. Um, and then secondly, I pretty much support any team that plays against Australia or New Zealand. Oh,
2: which is primarily <laughs> South Africa, but yes. <laughs> yeah, and
7: then, and then I, I'm pretty, a pretty loyal guy. So because I grew up in the free state, I still support the, the free state rugby team. I
3: can't um, fight all that.
7: The, I, I've been living in, in Joburg now just long enough so I can support um, the Lions.
2: Be lucky so, that you then, did so you didn't go through the bad patch where things weren't going so great for the Lions, huh?
7: Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. But but I, I'm a, I'm a big believer that, that you have to support your team, doesn't matter how yeah. they're doing, um, and you have to stick with
2: them. Couldn't agree more. Look, I'm an avid, avid Lions fan. I've supported them through and through as well. So it doesn't matter what the problems are. Are you a cricket man at all?
7: Yes, I I watch uh, a little bit of cricket. Don't follow it as much these days as
2: I used to. But yeah. yes, I am. So, so which which team would would, would suffice for you? I'm going to assume. Let me. Can I? Can I? Can I take a guess? Yes. The Titans.
7: <laughs> Close. Um, I, my first team will, that I will support it will still be the the Free State, and then and then yes, the Titans. Absolutely.
2: Okay. All right, well, fair enough. Look, it's good enough. I'll, I'll take it.
7: But what about football?
2: Okay, yeah, what about football?
7: Uh, you know what football? I don't uh, watch as much. Um, I pretty much watch football only when it's World Cup, um, and then I'm I'm always disappointed. I, I I always want us to do much better than what we do.
2: Of course. Um,
7: but no, not a not a big football fan.
2: Ah, okay. Well, Alma, really, really appreciate your time, nonetheless. Uh, it's been great uh, chatting to you as well this morning. Uh, truly wish you all the best for the year ahead as well. That's our cappuccino with the CEO, and that's Alma Conradi, the CEO of FlySafir.
0: Every morning, Arabile Goumede and Nastasia Aransa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb.
2: So we can very quickly touch on a few uh, big stories as well to have come out over the last few minutes or so as well. Uh, Chris Gilmore still joining us in studio. Woolworths as well as you just heard that uh, update. David Jones, CEO, stepping down and Ian Moore now will be working in conjunction with uh, the staff at uh, at David Jones in the interim period. What does this say about that business, which has continued to stifle things for Woolworths of late?
3: A couple of things. Look, uh, they had a very poor uh, pre uh, Christmas season, as did all the department stores in Australia. Um, you, you you have to wonder whether the department store model is actually um, mm. suitable for, for for this day and age. Having said that, looking specifically at at Woolies here and 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 this guy. Um, yeah, uh, trolling through the news wires and looking at Twitter and stuff like that. Um, maybe this is going to be the start of a turnaround at Woolies. Um, he he's been there for a few years, uh, only for the last couple of years in that actual position. He was the COO previously, and he was at mm-hmm. Country Road, um, leaving for inverted commas personal reasons. Well, whenever I see for personal reasons, it usually means there's a personality conflict with yeah, somebody. Yeah. Um So yeah, look, maybe this is uh, you have to you have to go a bit little bit deeper. And, and see what's actually caused this. And, you know, they, they, as you rightly say, they've had a lot of problems uh, recently. Maybe this is the start of a turnaround. Let's hope. We can certainly only hope in that uh, we're not just
2: chuckling. In future,
3: well, I, I was just, <laughs> you, you took the words right out of my mouth. Maybe we can see the Woolies uh, share price getting much beyond the price of a packet of chuckles. Yeah, one can only hope. So,
2: some other news as well on the market front uh, a trading update this morning as well. The mining companies seem to have. Been doing a little bit better. The uh, Northern Platinum says that they they expect that their normalised headline earnings per share, uh, which constitutes the group's main measure of performance, to be in excess of 550 million rand uh, for the first half. There, Um, this is compared to the first half of 2018, where they got 189.1. So that's nearly 200% increase on that front, and they'll get an improvement in their loss and headline loss per share as well. So a much better picture for the miners by the seams of things of late. We've had quite a few uh, companies also come out, the likes of Implats as well, seeing better better trading numbers there.
3: Yeah, and it's a little bit surprising given the fact that the, the, the actual um, uh, platinum price isn't isn't doing an awful lot. Uh, maybe what is happening at long last, and it's difficult to get a proper handle on this, is that maybe the, the amount of platinum above ground is actually starting to tighten up. Mm. Um I mean Johnson Matty the um the uh, the, the platinum um, a company that gives all the information, the stats in it. You know, they've been very cagey in recent years about what's actually what's actually going on above ground. Yeah. So may, maybe things are improving. You know, maybe the amount of recycled uh, platinum um, as, has kind of uh, stabilized out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you look at the, the, the updates from all these platinum companies. Yeah, you're right. They're, they're starting to look an awful lot better, even at these relatively subdued um, U.S. dollar Fables. platinum prices. Yeah. Okay.
2: Well, I want to turn to my favorite news piece for today, and that is Sorbet hmm sorbet seems to have uh, had its founder now depart from the business the franchise beauty salon chain however says it will not be affected by the sudden departure uh, of the founder he is of course a serial entrepreneur who founded sorbet after letting go of his, uh, uh, you know, after selling Supermart, which is now called uh, Jetmart, actually, the clothing chain. And he sold that off to Edcon. Um, but uh, he has not been actually a part of the day-to-day running of the group for over a year. That's according to Brian Joffey, the CEO of Long for Life. Now, of course, long for life is the investment firm which bought Sorbet uh, and now comprises of around 207 stores. And they bought this out in May 2017. So the current CEO, Rudy Rudolph, has been in charge for the past few years. And uh, no distinct worry uh, for this. However, Sorbet UK had five stores and those did, however, or are closing down. uh, But they say that that has no influence on the local uh, Sorbet. Of course, remember that. Sorbet UK actually got their licensing from Sorbet in South Africa. Uh, so It was very interesting,
1: interesting, the reasoning behind the closing down. Yes, it was a tough trading environment, mm. but he also remarked that it was the different work ethic and in the inferior beauty therapist training. So we got to count ourselves lucky that on the ground here in SA, we've got some excellent uh, Sorbet therapists.
2: When I go to Sorbet, man, I'm going to say thank you a little bit more. This time <laughs> <Yeah. around. laughs> very quickly as well, Apple says on Tuesday that uh, its retail chief Angela Ahendritz, uh, I'm not sure if I'm actually pronouncing, pronouncing that properly, will leave the company in April after five years on the job. This is the third departure of a retail head brought in from outside the company. And this comes, of course, at the back of those iPhone sales continuing to slump. So Apple continuing to struggle just a bit. So we get to the best part of the show. We say goodbye, but Chris Gilmore gets to tell us what the time is. No pressure, Chris. Everybody else has uh, perhaps struggled and (laughs) croaked it through, but we'll see how you do. Goodbye from myself and Tash, and we'll do this again tomorrow.
3: Yeah, goodbye.
2: It's 8 o'clock.